Good evening, and welcome to the Stage Ghost Podcast, featuring writing, teaching, and theater thoughts on the ride home with your driver and host, Brian Humphrey. So tonight was opening night. The kids did a really amazing job, um, like they always do on opening night. They took all the notes that uh, their director and um, and I have been giving them for the last uh, few weeks. Um, and it's funny when you find that you're repeating notes and you tell young actors, here's what we need you to do. And, uh, and they don't, you know, they don't take it right away. And sometimes all that it really takes is an audience to kind of, um, to get that into their bodies to, to get that intrinsic motivation to suddenly click and so there are two notes and and that's kind of what I what I'm thinking about for tonight is that there are two specific notes that I find in the eight years that I've been teaching theater um, which doesn't sound like very many but uh, when you when you look back on all of the different shows and not just the main stage productions but there's you know there's a fall play there's a spring musical there's the one act uh there's the holiday show that you put together because you don't have enough roles for these amazing freshman actors that suddenly pop in that you weren't expecting um so you create this whole holiday extravaganza thing that that just becomes this annual now we're on our sixth annual one um which is pretty awesome and, uh, and then you have, um, you know, senior stage production where I have a class that it's their, their capstone class and my seniors do uh, this show that they come up with the concept, they write it, they direct it, they cast it, they act in it, they tech it, they do all of that stuff all on their own and my job pretty much in that class is to make sure that, uh, that they don't all absolutely hate each other by the end of the process and to kind of gently guide them in directions that my years and my experience help me um, sort of dictate what is useful and what is not. And again, um, you know, just like anything else, I don't have all the answers and a lot of the answers that I have may not be the right ones. And so they get to pick and choose and they, they make some decisions on on what they're going to use and what they're not going to use. And sometimes I agree with those and sometimes I don't, of course. But uh, ultimately, by the end, they have this really excellent production that that is purely theirs, completely original, huge group project. You know, when when you have 20 20 to 25 people who come together to create something, um, even uh, even if it ends up being split into three different somethings, um, each is unique and and is completely theirs. And it's really cool when that happens. So, looking back on the experience that I do have, which is getting more and more extensive every year, uh, there are two things that I feel like a broken record. I feel like they keep popping up. And the funny thing is that to me, it's the same thing. To them, it's fresh. It's new. It's something different because, you know, I have a different group every year and the dynamic shifts. I have seniors that leave and then new freshmen that come in and then the entire dynamic of the group completely changes. And what's nice is that by the time that they're seniors, they've heard these two notes enough that 
they are helping me to reiterate it to the younger ones. Um, and they're helping me to explain it. And uh, there, there's this concept, uh, mostly for me, it's always been with math teachers. And nothing against math teachers, but to me, math teachers are uh, usually people who they get into to that profession to instructing math principles because they get it and they got it from the beginning and and it's almost second nature to them and it wasn't difficult um and i know that you know i'm being very general here and i'm sure that there's plenty of math teachers out there who got into it specifically because they didn't get it the first time and they want to make sure that they can impart their knowledge onto the kids who struggle uh, which is great but oftentimes at least in my experience with uh with math teachers they tend to to really understand concepts very easily and uh, it's hard to then impart that understanding to um, non-math oriented students uh, because you get frustrated and it's like, well, it's obvious. Why don't you, why can't you see this sort of thing? And so in those situations, you have students who then can step in and say, um, okay, well, here's how I see it and approach it from a totally different perspective that maybe that math teacher hadn't considered because they got it already. They didn't have to get creative with it. And um, so then you have, uh, you have others that are helping and filling in some of that scaffolding and some of that instruction. And so the same thing happens here. When I have these two um, specific notes that, that I give over and over and over again, um, now I have seniors and juniors who have heard it so many times that they get it, they've been able to internalize it, they understand it in a way that they can help me um, to reiterate and to approach it uh, in a way that, that the younger students then begin to, to understand. And then the younger students can watch and can see how the, the veterans, the more, more experienced students, uh, implement that. And so those two notes um, are bigger and better. No, I'm just kidding. This, it's not that at all. I do find that sometimes I start shouting that out because uh, at times words fail and you just need them to be louder. But no, it's pacing. Pacing is probably the number one. Um, and uh, then the other one is projection. And projection is a really difficult thing to teach. In order to, to project correctly, um, you really have to have an understanding of the vocal instrument um, and the vocal mechanism. Uh, and be able to envision that. And that kind of gets back to what we were talking about in the last episode with um, envisioning, with imagery and, and being able to see it in your head so that then you can impart it into your body. And it's the same thing with, with projection. If you don't see it in your mind first, then you can't really connect the feeling of it in your body to be able to project without squeezing your throat and, and you know using your whole core as opposed to... Um, to trying to produce sound using only your your vocal chamber and uh, so there's projection and that's a really difficult thing to teach but um, there's you know there's a lot of exercises on that and uh, I'll probably on my on my website I'll try to attach a few things that uh, that I use there's a couple exercises that are fun for the kids um, and uh, tend to tend to kind of help them sort of click with the idea of projection instead of just yelling and being louder. What does it really mean? But really, I do think I think the number one note that I give um, is centered around pacing because pacing is that thing that can make or break your show. And there are a lot of high school shows that I've gone to see that they just die because of pacing. 
And if you just pace it up, then suddenly it comes to life. And um, there are also some shows that, that were paced up too much and they went too fast. And, um, you know, your audience then suddenly they're very quiet um, and they don't react. And then the actors think that they're doing a horrible job when in truth, the audience just doesn't want to miss anything. And it's the same thing if you're too quiet, uh, which is, again, that comes back to projection. So projection and pacing. If you are too quiet, your audience will um, stop talking. They'll stop laughing because they don't want to miss the punchline um, if it's a comedy. And then the actors walk off stage going, wow, we are really not funny. And this is a terrible show. And I thought it was so funny at the read-through and, you know, the audience isn't laughing. And nine times out of ten, all that it comes down to is pacing and volume. Um, and so if you can get the volume out there so that your audience hears it, then they're not sitting on the edge of their seat trying to listen, trying to, to absorb everything and, and trying to interpret it in their mind because they're only hearing uh, certain things, certain aspects, certain consonants and such. And, and so they have to sort of then process it. And that takes a lot more brain energy. Um, but then with the pacing, if it's, if it's not paced up, um, then your audience gets fatigued and, uh, and that's really what kills it. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, they were kind of quiet, but man, they were funny and still have a really quiet audience because they're all trying to listen so intently. But when it's paced poorly, um, that's when things die. And so with pacing, I think the important thing is, uh, to recognize that it's not about speed and for young actors, that's always, um, kind of a difficult concept. They have a tendency to think, oh, I need to say my lines faster, as opposed to what my students are probably really, really tired of hearing me say, which is pull the air out. Um, and it has more to do with cues and picking up cues. Um, the kids love to be dramatic. And it's funny that I say kids love to because I love to be dramatic. And every actor that I've ever worked with loves to be dramatic. Um, what I did right there was I paused right before the word dramatic slightly in order to make it, well, dramatic. And making those pauses, it, we feel, it's, it's almost like when you do Shakespeare and you have this feeling of Shakespeare has to be dramatic. It has to be full of pauses and it has to be very whimsical and, and magical and ethereal and um, other aerials. And if you, if you don't play it that way, then you're not really, you are not a Shakespearean actor. Uh, but really most of the things that I've seen and most of the things that I've read and heard uh, in other podcasts and, um, you know, journals and such about Shakespeare is that it's, you have to speak it as if you're speaking in a dialogue, in a normal dialogue. And, um, the people who don't, the people who try to play Shakespeare, um, that's that's what kills it and what makes it tedious for an audience. And then the audience checks out. Um, and at first it may sound very impressive, but it just it's exhausting uh, to listen to. And so with pacing, it's exactly the same thing. Um, you have to pull the air out. When we have conversations, we're constantly cutting each other off. And yet for some reason we feel like if the playwright doesn't put that little dash in there at the end of a line, like where they've cut off a few words for you, um, then we feel like, oh, well, we can't, we can't cut off the other person. We have to allow them to get all the way to the very last word of their line. And then we have to take a breath. We have to react to what they said, and then we can go ahead and say our line. And so there are these pauses that you could drive a 
a freight train through in between every single line and you just have to pull those out. You got to pull the air out of those and allow people to have a much more natural reaction, much more natural conversational speech uh, in order to, to up the pacing a little bit. And again, that, that's got very little actually to do with speed. It's not about speeding up the lines. It's about making it a much more authentic conversation. Um, when you do speed up the lines, then you run the same risk that you do of not being loud enough or projecting enough where the audience uh, has to work a little too hard to pull out the, the meaning from your sped up lines. So don't speed up your lines, pull out the air in between the lines, um, especially if you are speaking right after another character instead of putting this dramatic pause in after every single line. And you may not even know that you're doing it, and that's the thing is to, um, you know, sometimes it helps to record yourself, but oftentimes your director can say, ah, you gotta speed things up a little bit. And so what you do in your mind is you go, okay, what they really mean is to pull the air out, to pace it up. Um, and sometimes it's worth asking for that clarification. Do you want me to pace it up or do you want me to speak faster? And I would, uh, I would be willing to bet that nine times out of 10, they're gonna say, don't speak faster, just pace it up. Um, and so a nicely paced play, uh, you know, you get a play suddenly that would have taken you, you know, two hours and 15 minutes to sit through that suddenly comes in at an hour and 45. The audience is happy. Um, they understand the whole thing. They've laughed quite a bit. And, uh, you know, we can, we can talk about the whole thing with, um, with humor and when to come in with your line when you hear everybody laughing. That's, that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. But uh, for tonight, I think these two things are, are pretty well executed. Uh, and if you have anything to add about um, pacing and or projection, especially uh, for projection, um, some exercises or some uh, acting games that you've found that work really well. Um, you can certainly add those into the comments below, and I know that uh, just about anybody who tunes into this would certainly benefit from that. So I am pulling up in front of my house at this moment, and uh, that concludes yet another drive home. So signing off. Have a good night, and uh, sleep tight. Mm -hmm. This stream of Ride Home Consciousness is inspired, in part, by my good friend and brilliant voice actor, Dave Robison, whose own podcast can be found on his professional website at butterymanvoice.com. I'm your driver and host, Brian Humphrey, and as always, it's been a great ride, but it's time for the stage ghost to get some sleep. To all, a good night. <laughs>